And I pray as we gather together, as we do for a church, to encourage one another in that gospel, that good news. As a reminder to come together regularly to encourage one another in that, that I need to be reminded and you need to be reminded of that. So thank you for leading us, Joel, this morning and reminding us of, of that, that In Christ Alone is one of my favorite songs, because it is all about Christ and, and Him alone and what He did for us. And we can praise Him and glorify Him for that. So we're continuing this series in, in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. So we looked at the the Beatitudes, blessed are those. We looked at the salt and light. Doug brought a message on that. And then last Sunday, we looked at Christ fulfilled the law. And today, we're going to continue on through this. And, and what it's looking at is that Christ, he not only takes the law, but he expands upon the law throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to look at that and what that means for you and for me and how we should look at that and what Christ was saying in this most famous sermon ever spoke on planet Earth, Sermon on the Mount. You begin, if you have ever planted a garden before, anyone here planted a garden? I'm not talking like one of these like backyard, like raised garden. I'm talking like a huge mungo, like you're going to can it and Find friends that you haven't seen in 20 years to give them some produce that you have left over. Anyone planted one of those gardens before? So Amanda and I, this time of year, you begin to think about what seeds and what you're going to plant. And we had this really ambitious plan to plant this huge garden. Now this thing was probably from that wall to probably here and about the length of this room and it was huge I was out there for like days tilling the the soil and we went all out like we were just gonna go all out and I uh, got the string at the lines right you make mounds for the zucchini and the squash and we're learning and we went and got organic seeds which are really expensive and we had all this stuff which ended up the the mice ate the seeds uh, in the, the garage but we had this we have so many funny stories about our garden the slithery thing, I won't say the name, came in the garden when Amanda was planting, and she ends up like sitting on top of the mounds of the zucchini. It's like only like this tall, but she's up there like, ah, it's a snake. It's just a little garden snake, but. <laughs> but we had all these funny, we had all these funny stories. We, Amanda got tired of like picking all the weeds. And so I'm like, well, I'll just go and get some straw, like just lay it down and that'll keep the, well, I didn't realize the straw had seeds, straw, you know, like wheat seed. So now all the wheat's growing. So it's like a thousand times more work than it needed to be. Well, then once we put the straw down with the chickens love the straw and they're digging and they're tearing up all the plants. So then I have to go get a bunch of fencing and spend hundreds of dollars on fencing and I'm in a bad mood and. It was just not good. Well, then we ended up with so much zucchini and squash. There was a missionary um, a location on the Lake of the Ozarks, and some of the missionaries would come to our church. And uh, they were self-supported, self-funded, and so they were always looking for food and vegetables. And so for like weeks, we would just bring them huge bags of zucchini. And after about the fourth time, they're like, I, th- I think we're good with zucchini. Like, I don't think we need any more. Um, we have all these, these stories of, 
this garden that turned out to be this this huge kind of uh, disaster, but it was funny. And I wonder sometimes if our lives are like this garden, that we, we try to do too much and we're distracted by the world, right? I mean, the world, you get on social media and you get all these ideas like, oh, I, should, I see this person doing this, I should be doing that, or I should be doing this with my kids. And, and there's all of these distractions, whether it be phones or news or kids' events or just trying to get by, whatever it may be. And we just kind of overdo it. We have too many things planted. We're just trying not to fail, just trying to survive. Jesus, he says, if we are hungry and we are thirsty to seek righteousness. And I say, if you're hungry and thirsty, don't plant a garden. Don't plant a garden. Let's look at Matthew 5, 21 through 26. I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to go back to the Beatitudes, and we're going to look at one specific blessed statement that Jesus said. If you would, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with you, the verses will be up on the screen. Matthew 5, 21. Here's what Jesus says about anger. And again, here he has said that we are the salt and the light. We are blessed as Christians if we are these things. We are the salt and the light of the world. And he says that I came to fulfill the law. He was talking to Jewish people. He says, I am the law fulfiller. And now he gets into the law. And he not only talks about the law, but he expands upon it. Um, Here he talks about anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hells of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So clearly Jesus has a few things to say about how we are to look at our brothers and our sisters in in Christ in the condition of our heart when it comes to anger. One thing he says in the Beatitudes in the very beginning, Matthew 5, 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. And Joel just think about that, to look to righteousness. Though... Those blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So my point number one is that to hunger as Christians, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness to be right with God. All of the Sermon on the Mount is, is a standard of living as Christians. It's how we should thrive. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness as Christians. Verse 21 through 22, Jesus is saying that I am over the Pharisees and the scribes that taught you that I have authority 
over what they are teaching you. It says, you shall not murder, which is true. And it's part of the Ten Commandments. Jesus expands upon it. Anyone here grew up with siblings, like younger siblings? Some of you? You may have played the same game that I did. Like you got something and you're twirling it around. And you're like, if you walk into this, it's your own fault. Like don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. If you die, it's your fault. Like don't go yelling and screaming to mom and dad. Because I'm standing here. I was here first. And of course they're walking closer and walking closer. They're like, don't do it. Don't do it. You'll die. And they get whacked in the head and they go cry. And then I'm the one in trouble, right? My brother walking into it. I told you not to do it. But I found a loophole, right? Like, I'm not supposed to murder. But he, I mean, he walked into it. I wasn't really murder. And here, Jesus is he's closing the loophole. He said, not only just those that commit murder are guilty, but if you've had murderous thoughts, you're guilty. You have a heart issue. And maybe you say, well, I've never murdered. I've never even been angry with my brother and sister in Christ. That's what Jesus goes on to say. Even if you're angry with your brother and sister, you're guilty. It's a heart condition. I've never, I've never done that. I've never murdered. I've never been angry. So I'm good. I'm not a sinner. And if you ask a child, hey, have you ever sinned? Like, no, I've never, I've never sinned before. So you've never lied? Nope. Never stolen anything? Nope. Never cheated? Nope. Always obeyed your mom and dad perfectly? Hmm. Hmm. When they told you to put your toys away, you did it first thing, right away? Hmm. No. Sinner. Little sinners. And same here, we're saying, well, we've never murdered, we've never been really, like, truly angry, like, maybe a little, like, frustrated, but not angry with our brothers and sisters. Well, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 22, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, but whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hells of fire. You fool or raka. Raka is an insult. Call somebody a fool. I say knucklehead. That's what I call my kids. Knucklehead. Seems okay, I guess. What I call people. Ninwit, bonehead, pickleball lover. I don't I don't understand pickleball. I just seems like an insult, maybe. I don't understand that sport. Pickleball lover. Bonehead. I mean, all of these things, if we insult our brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is saying, you've broken the law. So how about now? See, all sin condemns us. It separates us, right, from God. We're not right. We're not righteous. Clearly, there are different worldly consequences for our sin. 
murder versus calling somebody a pickleball lover. There's clearly different worldly consequences for our sin, but it all separates us from God. Verse 23 through 26 says, don't ignore anger or frustration with one another. And even if you are about to lay something at the altar of God and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you should go to them and you should make things right. It's how important God sees his children loving one another. He considers it far more important to be reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ than to perform a religious duty. Romans twelve eighteen says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. We had moved here. We lived on 40 acres. Our house is right in the middle of it. Had lots of privacy. Could do lots of things. And when we first moved here, we were in a townhouse. And so somebody's like right next door, like right. I mean, we shared the same wall, right? And we had a neighbor. It was hard to love. He had his own rules for the, for the street, and he wrote out his instruction manual that he gave to everyone. And he would leave notes on your car if you didn't follow the rules. And he was always staring out the window and trying to catch you and doing whatever that you were doing, and I found over time that if I could catch him and his wife together, I would say, hey, you, I feel like you, you, know, you left me this note, you're upset. His wife would disagree with him, and they'd start arguing, and I would just, wa- I would just walk away. I would just walk away. I'm like, all right, your wife will handle, handle this. <laughs> Sometimes people are just hard to love, but hatred Murder, insults, it all starts in the heart. And hatred is a poison that destroys us from within. Bitterness that eats away at our hearts and our minds. Hebrews 12.15 says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up in your heart. It will destroy your witness as a Christian. Bitterness, anger. Jesus didn't say that we would all be gifted with the spiritual giftedness of evangelism, but he tells us to all be a witness. And bitterness and anger, it destroys our witness as a Christian. So I want to pause just for a moment and talk about the big picture. When it comes to God and sin, you see, God hates sin. He gives us the law and his commandments so that we know that we cannot meet his standard. That's why we sing about in Christ alone, that Christ met the standard. We can hate the things that God hates. We can hate sin. Because sin separates us from a God who is holy. It is His most main characteristic of who God is is his holiness. He can't be around sin. There's nothing about him is sinful. And and so sin separates us from God. God hates sin. He hates that you or me or anyone else in this world would be separated from him. Sin blinds us from the truth. It says if you hate your brother, you are blind. So God hates sin. 
You may read this and say, okay, I, I see like the child is that I am a sinner. Now you may be angry about it. <laughs> so what now? Number two, point number two, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but don't plant a garden. A garden takes work. You're not, it's not a works-based salvation. It's not a works-based righteousness. We can't work for our salvation. Hungry and thirsty people can't wait on a garden. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You're dying. Some college students were asked, they had no reference to church at all, and they were asked to read the Sermon on the Mount and give their feedback. And they said, well, this is just, it makes me feel bad because it makes me feel like I'm not perfect. And some are saying, there can't be any, any fun in life because I would be constantly wondering if I'm ever sinning. I told you about the author who wrote uh, Atlas Shrugged. She said that this was the most vile thing that was ever written. And I would say God's standard is too hard to live up to. I'm sure I've thought things that I shouldn't have about my brothers and sisters in Christ at times. God's standard is too hard to live up to, his righteousness. But if we look at God's standard, we would all agree that it is right. It is correct. It is a standard that we would want the world to live up to. It was a standard that we would want ourselves to live up to. We all have within our hearts justice. We want things to be right in this world. So we know when we look at this, we know, well, this is, this is the right way. This is the correct standard. What I just want you today is don't simply ignore it or run away from it. Or try to work really hard to meet it. To seek your righteousness in Christ. Point number three, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the living water. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, Christ says, I am the bread. I am the water. Whoever comes to me will not thirst. <clears throat> Have you ever been offended in your life? Like somebody said something to you or suggested something to you and it just really, really offended you. For me, it would probably go to the heart of who I feel like I am and my identity. If somebody came to me and was like, hey, you're, you're a bad husband, you're a bad father, worst preacher I ever heard in my life, like whatever it may be, right? Like I feel like that would really offend me. You may be thinking of something that somebody said to you recently that just totally offended you. When I say... That Christ, he is the living water. He is the bread of life. That he is the righteousness. That offends people. The gospel of Jesus is offensive to people. And it should be offensive. The truth should be offensive. 
removing pride from your heart to say, no, 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 I can be a good person. I can try really hard. There's all these things that I can do. I feel like God is good, good enough. God is good with me for what all the good things that I have done in my life. And if you say, no, you're a sinner, and there's nothing you can do to gain God's righteousness, to be right with God apart from your faith in Jesus, that is offensive to people. Generally speaking, not totally, but generally speaking, an area that's educated, that's wealthy, that's cultural, will take the doctrine of of Jesus and they will apply the teachings to what they're teaching of things that they can do. Social justice, equality, just love one another, care for the poor, try to be as good a person as you can possibly do. The things that I can do. The things that we can do. Removing pride is hard. And you say, there's nothing you can do outside of your faith. In Christ alone. In the works that he's done. You see, the gospel of Jesus, we call it the good news. Right? News is something that's already happened. We're reporting on something that's already happened in the past that's good news. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, he cried out to tell us that it is finished. There's nothing left to do. Jesus did it all. Apart from your faith in Jesus and his works, there's nothing you can do. And I know that just offended some, someone here. Matthew 11, verse 6, is another blessed are thee, the Beatitudes says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed are you who are not offended by Christ. Do you want to know in the Bible who was not offended by Jesus? when he was walking around on planet Earth. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had been sent to prison. He was the one that was sent before Jesus, the messenger, the one that baptized Jesus. John the Baptist went to prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, ask him if he is the one beginning to have some doubt. And here's what Jesus answered his disciples, Matthew eleven four through 6. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Those that believed in Jesus were blind, were poor, were dead. Blessed are those who are not offended by Jesus. They were blind. They were poor. They had nowhere else to go. There was no hope other than this man that they heard about named Jesus. Blessed are those who are not offended. The undeserving sinners were the ones who had no hope and were not offended by Jesus. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. You turn with me there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast. I remember our kids really wanted a Wii back in the day when Wiis were popular. Are those still popular? Allie? No, not Wii, not anymore. Back in the day when Wiis were popular. They're still kind of fun to play if you have one laying around. Uh, But we thought it would be funny because the kids wanted this as a family gift. We thought it would be funny to wrap it in a microwave box and say, when they open it up, they see a microwave box. And we're like, well, this is for the whole family. Like, we got a family gift. And they open it up. They're really expecting a Wii. And it's a microwave box. We actually had some tears falling from this microwave box. They opened it up. Well, they finally we let them. And they were all excited they got the Wii. But I wonder if that's sometimes what we think about Jesus. Is we want something... But when we find out the real thing, it's not what we wanted. We want, a, we want a better government. We want things to function properly. We want better health, a better life. Whatever it is that we're looking for. The people at the time said the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to make our lives so much better. And we find out about Jesus and who the Messiah is, that he came to forgive us of our sins, to die on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. We're disappointed. We're offended. That's not the Jesus that I wanted in my life. Pontius Pilate, he brings Jesus in front of the crowd. I said, You want Jesus? Or do you want Barabbas, a known criminal? They said, give us Barabbas. Well, he says, well, what has this man done? He has done nothing, Jesus. And they said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. This man over here, he he must not be the Messiah because he did not come to overthrow the Roman government to make my life happy. Give me something that I understand, give me something I'm comfortable with, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe you today hunger and thirst for righteousness, and maybe you can relate to what Spurgeon wrote. He said, alas, says he, is it not enough for me to know that my sin is forgiven? I have a fountain of sin within my heart and bitter waters continually flowing from it. Oh, that my nature could be changed so that I, the lover of sin, could be made a lover of that which is good, that I, now full of evil, could become full of holiness. Even Paul says, wretched man that I am, I do the things that I don't want to do. If that is you here today, point number four, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, don't plant a garden, put on a yoke, a yoke. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, 
And I pray that this is, this is encouraging to you. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anyone here looking for rest? Anyone here looking to just be yoked with Jesus? Just let him just give us rest and peace. Laboring and heavy, heavy laden. Laboring means the burdens that you put upon yourself. Heavy laden means the burdens that others have put on you. What burdens today have you put on yourself? What burdens are you allowing others to put on you? Jesus loves us and he will give us rest. Back in the day when a farmer was training the oxen how to plow, they would take the young oxen and they would put it in the yoke with the old, experienced, strong, and mighty oxen. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, put, your, put my yoke on you. I will teach you. I will show you the way. Be yoked with Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly. He bears our burdens. And we learn from him. When we come to that place in our lives, we've surrendered and put our faith in Jesus, not only for our salvation, but for our growth. To be able to follow and obey all that he has commanded us to do. To observe all that he has commanded us to do. Through his power and through his might. Then we can begin to live and find our true life in Christ. Matthew 5, 6 again says, If you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And at the end he says, For they shall be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness in Christ. For you shall be satisfied. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What we have earned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And we have all earned death. But the good news is that we receive a free gift of eternal life in Jesus, our Lord. That is the good news. It has already happened. There's nothing left to do. Christ fulfilled the law for us. He said it is finished on the cross. All to show you that he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You see, God's love, it demands restoration and righteousness. Righteousness. So blessed are you today if you're here and you are not offended by Jesus, that you have surrendered your life to Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will teach you to obey all that he has commanded us to do. And he will give you rest. Let us pray.
Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that you teach us how to be Christians. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us because we are sinners. And there's no way to be right with God apart from your son Jesus and the work on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us there, that you say, stay connected, stay yoked, abide in Christ, and you will teach us how to obey all of Christ's commandments, that we will be a witness to the world of your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for being a good, God, a good father who loves us. Help us, Lord, if we have anger or bitterness in our heart, Lord, help us to see it. Help us to get rid of it. Help us to love one another as Christ loved the church. Lord, do not let any bitterness spring up in our hearts. Lord, we cannot do that on our own. We need you. We need you to do that work within us. Help us to be good witnesses wherever we go. And all God's people said.